All right. Good to see you guys and good to worship with everyone uh, through the live stream as well. Um, I hope you have had a good Thanksgiving holiday. I'm sure it was a little unusual with the COVID uh, restrictions and everything. But I hope that you still had a blessed one um, uh, with uh, your immediate families or uh, people um, perhaps you're living with. Uh, let me read for us the passage for today. Uh, it is found in Book of Psalms. Book of Psalms. Uh, it's Psalm 86. Psalm 86. I'll read it for us and we'll pray and go into the sermon. It says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. For I'm poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I'm godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You're my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord. For to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I'll glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. That is the word of God. Uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you uh, speak to us in this way, uh, especially to us as a community. So Lord, help us to humble ourselves before you, before your word, and be attentive to what you have to say to us in uh, all of our specific and unique situations that we may be in. Help us to uh, look to you away from all of the, all other distractions that might be in our hearts right now, and help us to worship you as a result of um, this word of yours. Uh, be with me. Help me to speak clearly uh, your word and your word alone. I pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So around Thanksgiving every year, I get opportunity to um, preach, and I try to preach on the topic of you know Thanksgiving and gratitude around this time, obviously for the you know season. Uh, but this year, because of the pandemic and all other unusual things going on in the world and in our lives, uh, I had to think twice about you know preaching the the usual uh, sermon on you know, gratitude. And especially, I know personally, some of you are having a very tough time in many different ways in your relationships and um, you know different things going on in your lives right now. So. Um, I really wanted to be more nuanced uh, this year, and uh, um, so here is the main idea I wanted us to tackle together today and this year uh, during the Thanksgiving season. That idea is, how can I give thanks to God in the midst of trials? That is, you know, I know the Bible tells me to be thankful, but when there's so much pain, agony, confusion and discouragement, you know, in the world and in our lives, you know, how can I be thankful without being fake or disingenuous? And to answer this question, I chose Psalm uh, 86 that we just read uh, because, interestingly, Thanksgiving in this psalm uh, shows up in the middle of the psalm. And it's sandwiched uh, by... Uh, uh, these two parts in the psalm that are struggles after struggles. Uh, meaning that the psalmist is showing us through the structure of this psalm that he is striving to give thanks to God in the midst of his struggles. So I hope that God would you know, address this uh, to us and for us uh, through this passage as we go through it together. Uh, three points. Uh, renewal of relationship, second renewal of uh, <laughs> renewal of worship, and thirdly renewal of fight. I usually write this down on the first page, but yeah, we'll have to do that. But so those are three points: you renewal relationship, uh, worship, and uh, fight. So first, renewal of relationship. In this psalm, as we will see, David, the author of this psalm, is in trouble. Although we don't know the exact nature of his problem. And he cries out to God about that. So verse 1. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. So the psalm starts with David humbling himself before God, saying that he's utterly helpless and he's in need of God's you know, attention and provision. But we shouldn't think at this point that David is you know, seeing himself as a stranger or a beggar uh, to God. That's not the case. So verse 2, it says, Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Meaning David is saying that he has a special relationship with God in this verse. The word godly there in Hebrew, uh, it comes from the root chesed, uh, which normally connotes God's faithfulness um, towards his people within the covenant relationship. So what this means when 
Uh, David says of himself, when he says he's godly, what he means is that he is of God, godly, meaning that he is in this unique covenant relationship with God. That's why he says in the next line that uh, he is God's servant, meaning David belongs to God like a servant belongs to a master. And then he further says, you are my God in the, in the, in the same verse, meaning there is a close, intimate, personal relationship between God and David. So now through this lens of this covenant relationship, everything else said in the psalm makes sense. So we go on in verse 3. It says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Meaning, David is saying, O Lord, my master, I am a poor and needy servant indeed. Apart from you and your provision, I perish. I desperately, therefore, cry out to you for grace. And verse 4, Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Meaning, God, you are not only Lord over my physical needs, you are the Lord over, over you know, my spiritual, emotional, and everything that's, that, that, I, that I need in my life. So therefore, only you can make me glad in the midst of my despair. Therefore, I left my soul to you. And lastly, in that stanza, uh, David summarizes God's character as Lord. Verse 5, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. This is who God is. That's what David is saying, that he is good, forgiving, and there again, steadfast, hesed, faithful to his own servants who humbly cry out to him. That's his nature. And therefore, he concludes in, at the end of verse 7 that, God, you will answer me because that is who you are. That's what you do to your servants who are in desperation and who call out to you. So what David is doing here is that in his struggle, he is renewing his relationship with God so to speak, DTR, the define the relationship with God. That's what he's doing. That, that he is in this, again, covenant in which the relationship in which God's role as Lord is to provide for him. That's his role and job. And David's role as his servant is to cry out to him and receive his grace. And he especially highlights, you know, again, God's character again, showing that this is his nature and he will do all these things for his servants. Uh, Deb and I uh, take our one-year-old son, Seth, to his uh, medical checkup appointments, you know, periodically. And uh, I love Evernote. I don't know anybody that uses Evernote. I love Evernote, uh, the app for, you know, note-taking. And I've dedicated this one notebook in, in that app for all the questions I have for my doctors. I have long questions whenever I visit my, our doctor. And my mentality, I think, you know, to be honest, is that 
I want to get my money's worth. You know, I pay this doctor. So I want to, you know, get all the different answers possible from, from her. But I think more fundamentally, um, I, I readily acknowledge that I lack professional knowledge in, in medicine. Whereas she is an expert. She knows what she's doing. So therefore, my job is submitting to her expertise and keep asking questions for help. And her job is to listen and give me answers and treatments uh, for Seth if there's anything wrong. And thankfully, you know, she's very gracious. She is very patient with all my questions and so I appreciate her. But just imagine, it'll be ridiculous, right? If you were to go to your own appointments with your doctor and not ask questions uh, or share any concerns about your health because you think that you can take care of your own health by Googling or going to WebMD or worst, you know, Twitter, you know, or whatever theories out there on that app. Likewise, David in this passage is showing that when you're struggling, you must, again, define and renew <clears throat> the relationship with God that you have with Him and define you know, God's character in the relationship and, and realize that God takes His job very seriously when we cry out to Him for help. And our job is humble ourselves and go to Him and be needy and poor before Him. You know, sometimes when I meet with, uh, you know, people, uh, they graciously share, you know, about their struggles with me. And I appreciate that. But, uh, but then they say sometimes, oh, I hate to burden you with this. And when I hear that, on the one hand, I honor their courtesy. I know they're trying to be, you know, polite during that time. But at the same time, you know, I, I feel in my mind, uh, but it's kind of my job, you know, as a pastor and as a brother in Christ to carry your burdens. So why do you feel bad? Um, the truth is, there is no reason that we should not, you know, beg God. And if you think there's, there's any reason, no matter how noble it may sound, it may just be a very subtle form of pride to be self-reliant. And I think the pandemic can drive us to be even more self-reliant these days because of being secluded and just trying to rely on online things and, you know, things like that. So, so David is saying, in your struggles, go to God. Go to that relationship. Renew it and enjoy it. That's what you have. So renewal of relationship. Second, renewal of worship. So now, as David trusts in God's character in that relationship, what, what that leads him to is uh, gazing more upon God and worshiping Him. So verse, verses 8 through 10, it says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. 
for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Worshiping. He's saying that God alone, the, the Yahweh, the Lord is the only God in the heavens first. That there's no so-called gods that can compete with him. But he's also, also God alone on earth. He's sovereign over all the nations in the world and throughout history. He has done wondrous things, ultimately through the gospel of Jesus Christ, to save people from every nation and tongue and tribe because God is their maker and he deserves their worship. God is God of the universe. So that's what David is declaring in his worship. And now, in the remainder of the stanza, David applies this grand truth about God into his own life so that he can worship God also along with the nations that he just mentioned. Verse 11, he goes on, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Meaning he knows how divided his heart is towards God because of other things that he chases after for pleasure and worth. And he asks God to guide him, teach me, guide him through the word and mend his heart, unite my heart through the spirit so that he can give God the undivided worship in all of his life. And then he goes on in verses 12 and 13 saying, I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I glorify your name forever. For, because great is your steadfast love towards me, you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. So as David was praying for God to unite his heart, God answers the prayer. And now with his whole heart, he's worshiping. But the reason is this, that David meditated on God's personal steadfast love for him in saving him from the depths of Sheol. That's what he says. And Sheol in, in the Bible can refer to either death itself or uh, dire situations that feel like death. So David is remembering God saving him from all this grave troubles in the past. And, and that meditation increases uh, his trust in God's goodness, personal goodness and faithfulness to him even more. And that bursts out into heartfelt thanksgiving and worship. So in this stanza, th this is what's happening. In the midst of David's struggles or his Sheol right now, he is looking up beyond his struggles and gaze upon God's objective greatness as well as the subjective experience of God's goodness and power in his own life. And as a result of this, his mind and heart are filled with wonders of God rather than the problems in his life. He is lost in worship so to speak. Um, as some of you guys know, I joined CLC about uh, three and a half years ago. Uh, it's been a, <laughs> quite some time now. 
time flies by. And uh, before that, uh, if you uh, don't know, I was a youth pastor serving in Milwaukee while you know living and commuting from uh, Chicago area. And before uh, my wife and I moved up here, uh, to be honest, we we're quite concerned about some you know logistical challenges that they usually have. You know, when you move from one area to another, like for example. We hadn't even found a place or apartment to live in at the time. And being a planner, that's what I do many times, as you could have tell, told from uh, my obsession with the Evernote. I, I love planning. Um, you know, the, the thoughts about these logistical challenges really consumed my mind at the time. And uh, so, so what, while that, that was going on, um, Dev and I decided to uh, take a vacation before we moved up here. Um, because we just wanted to kind of uh, commemorate the, the ending of one chapter to another. Uh, so we flew to um, the, the Grand Canyon area. And uh, afterwards, you know, we rented rent a car and we were driving up to you know, one of the ridges uh, in the, the Grand Canyon. And while driving, I, I noticed uh, that the trees up there looked different. And I'm, I'm no botanist, so I cannot explain to you why the trees look like that up there. Uh, but they looked very pointy. They looked like pointy towards the sky. So I was like, oh, interesting. And then I was thinking, this you know, poetic me, thinking, wow, they look like they're praising God. So I was thinking that. I was like, oh, yeah, I was like so proud of myself. Like, oh, yeah, they're like praising God. It's such a metaphor, you know. Uh, so, and then as I was driving on, thinking like that, I realized there are a lot of trees like that, like by the, by the road and, you know, all over the meadows, um, you know, over there. So I was like, you know, seeing all these and thinking all these things. And then all of a sudden, I started crying. I started crying. Occasionally, I started crying to the point that I had to pull over our car uh, by the side of the road. And as you can imagine, at this point, Deb was wondering, what's happening? Why is he crying? So I told her, you know, that um, while I was, you know, watching these, you know, trees and thinking that they're worshiping God, uh, and, and, you know, again, like there are thousands of these trees, perhaps, you know, that I was seeing. And then I realized, and I asked myself, wait, why am I not worshiping God with that? Meaning, just, just feeling overwhelmed. I'm like surrounded by this nature and, you know, this pointy tree is worshiping God in my mind. I'm like, but why am I not worshiping God? Then I realized that these, you know, concerns I had about logistics at the time uh, were clogging up and consuming my mind and heart so that being divided, I couldn't really worship God the way I should, the way I should have. And that broke me down, and the next thing I know, because <laughs> you're not, you know, Dev and I are both crying by the side of the road, and we're just like really, you know, um, talking to one another and just surrendering ourselves to God, um, saying that we would just leave our palms and hands open wide and do whatever uh, brings glory to God. Uh, you see, when glory and worship of God is your focus, your perspective changes. The problem of your life will take a back seat 
and you'll realize, acknowledge that God is powerful, much more powerful than these things. And after all, God is all that matters. That's what worship does. And, and I think when we hear the word worship these days, I think it, it can uh, sound daunting right away because of the pandemic and how we cannot you know, worship as a whole church together. And to be sure, you know, we acknowledge that loss, right? These days, corporate worship has its value and, and we miss that and we are missing out for sure. Uh, but I think worship and thanksgiving can also be individual. It can be a habit to develop. Just like what David did, we are to periodically look off from our situations to God and, and meditate on His greatness objectively and also subjectively in our own lives. When, when we think of our, you know, sheols in our past, what, what do we see? You know, do you see God's deliverance, God's gracious intervention? And as we meditate on that, periodically, you know, we got to worship and God becomes our gaze rather than our problems. And that's what David does and that's what I believe uh, God wants us to do as well. So renewal of worship. Third and last, renewal of fight. So now, after this worship and prayer, David invites us back into the circumstance of his life. Verse 14, he says, O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. Again, we don't really know what exactly David is referring to, but whether it's just literal or more metaphorical, he's in a lot of pressure right now in his life. You know, as we saw in the beginning of the psalm, you know, his situation is so dire to the point that he says he cries out to God all day long. And he also said that you know, he wanted God to gladden him, meaning that he's not happy right now. He's, in fact, in distress. So whatever the situation, the details might be, this situation can easily make David um, you know, lose hope and despair. But look at what he does next uh, in the next verse, verse 15. It says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In the Hebrew text, the, the, the words, but, but you, is emphatic. That's what the author did intentionally. But you. Meaning that when the torrent of despair for David can easily swallow him up, David stops it. But you, but you, God, but, but God. And he recites the character of God that he mentioned earlier in his prayer. That, that again, God is compassionate and faithful to his people, especially those who call upon him. And, and after reciting this, you know, general uh, truth, he now personalizes it in verse 16. He says, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. What's interesting there is in verse 15, he said, God is gracious. And in verse 16 here, he says, 
be gracious to me. Same words in Hebrew too. He's applying, he's making it personal to his own situation. God, you be gracious to me. You are my God. You are my Lord. That's why he uses the servant language again, right? Like we saw earlier that God, I'm your poor and needy servant. Remember, as if to remind God, as if he forgets, which he doesn't. And, and he tells God, you are my Lord. You are committed to do good to me when I ask you. And then David ends the psalm by making a bold petition. He says, show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Meaning that David is asking God to vindicate him before his enemies by showing them the evidence of God's care for him. In other words, David is not in defense. He's in offense in his fight against his situations. That's what's happening here. So here, in this stanza, in the last stanza, David is demonstrating on, on the one hand that troubles for him linger. But on the other hand, David is fighting back. You know, he holds down the despair that's rising up by holding on to you know, God's personal goodness towards him and his power over his situations. And now he's even able to go offense at his adversity. Meaning that his prayer and worship that he did before this did something to the way he goes about facing the lingering trials in his life. And I think this gives us hope because you and I, we all have struggles and troubles lingering even after good worship service, even after good quiet time, you know, whatever else. And especially in light of pandemic, I think some things are more accentuated. And, and there are discouragement and hopelessness for, uh, for many of us. However, we, like David, we are called to stop them, stop the despair, saying, but you, but God, reminding ourselves of his goodness and his strength towards us. And we are to keep fighting our battles as well. And guess what? We actually have something that David didn't have in his own fights, in his own battles. That is, God gave us, God has given us since David's time a sign that David would have ultimately asked for. It is Jesus Christ. He became human. He became a servant. And he died on the cross for our sins, demonstrating, like Romans you know, 5a says, that God does care for us, that God is indeed good to us, that he is committed to us, that he is committed to our salvation. All his character statements that are in the Old Testament are true. And, and on the third day, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead and he was seated on the right hand of God in heaven, having defeated sin and death once and for all, showing that the ultimate hater, the David said, those who hate, hate me. The ultimate hater, Satan, has been defeated. 
that he is utterly put to shame. God answered David's prayer for us in that sense. And one more thing, furthermore, not only that, for us, the Bible says Jesus now lives in us through the Holy Spirit. So that the book of Ephesians says, we now have God's very strength, God's very power, namely the power that raised Jesus from the dead. So that those who are in Christ, we can know that this power to overcome is accessible and is real, is at hand for us. All we, all we have to do is in Jesus Christ, we cry out and we know that it is in us through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. So we can fight back the despair that rises up and can choose to be thankful. Let me end this way. Uh, let me share a little bit of, uh, of my son, Seth, who just turned one. And by the way, um, before Deb and I had Seth, I heard that uh, a pastor, when, when a pastor has a baby, all his sermon illustrations are about the baby. And at the time, I was like, ah, no, I'm not going to do that. But here I am, literally sharing about uh, our baby in almost every message. So, but it is what it is. I mean, I, I do admit that he provides good illustrations. So, you know, I count my blessings. But anyways, by now, uh, Seth is very active. Uh, you know, he's crawling and almost walking everywhere. And he's, he taps on things and, you know, he yells at things and he, you know, gets excited about lots of things. But he also, you know, bumps into things too and quite a bit actually. And he falls down a lot while, you know, trying to stand or things like that. And uh, something interesting I noticed about, you know, his like bumping into things is that, you know, uh, whenever, you know, he gets a, get, you know, bumps into things and he gets a boo-boo, um, when, um, you know, if, if Deb and I, his parents are some distance away from him, you know, he just like, you know, goes nuts, right? He just cries and, you know, he like sheds all these like crocodile tears and, and it's, 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 you know, it's sad. But then I noticed that, I was talking about this with, with Deb earlier too today. Um, when Deb and I are there in, in very close proximity and, and you know, we're, we're there when the bumping happens, he does cry for a few seconds, but, you know, right away, what do Deb and I do? We, we you know, hug him and you know, we go like, hey, Seth, it's okay. You know, Abba's here, Mama's here. It's okay, it's okay. And he literally, like, he just goes like, Ugh! And then he just stops crying. And then there's no more tears. Like, I kid you not. And to the point that I realized a few days ago, uh, I was like kind of near him and, you know, he bumped into this like wooden surface. And he was crying and, and you know, I did the same thing. Like, oh, just comforting him. Like, it's okay, it's okay. So he stops crying. And then um, a few days later, I, I realized he got a little bruise. Meaning, normally he doesn't get bruised because, you know, like as a baby, he has like awesome system, I guess. He just, he just like recovers right away almost. But the bump must have been pretty, pretty hard uh, so that he got bruised. Uh, but then I think, I, I thought back to that time, he didn't cry that much. The, 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 what, what happened obviously was that although it was really painful for him, just because I was there to comfort him, he just stopped crying right away. 
And I think that, I think, you know, says something about God too. Uh, in the same way, you know, God is always there for us. In fact, for those who are in Christ, He is in us, not just with us, He is in us. You know, He has won the, the battle over sin and death, meaning He has won over all the troubles of this life. He has overcome. And that God is in us, you know, comforting us, empowering us. And you know, he hears us when we cry. And, and along with David, what we are called to do then is, again, define the relationship, take the relationship seriously, just as God does. Crying out to God, God, I'm poor and needy. I, I need you. And it's your character, isn't it, that, that you care for me. Do that for me. And, and going from there, as you focus on that character of God, bursting into worship, and by God's strength, choosing to give thanks to God in the midst of your troubles and keep fighting. May that be the case as we you know, go through this strange time of pandemic as well as all other personal struggles that we have in our lives. Let's pray together. Let's take some time. Uh, meditating on this psalm, as well as our own lives too. Uh, I think for me personally, uh, it was not an easy psalm to uh, study and prepare. Uh, there was a lot there. Um, but I think I was just praying for myself that, that this would be real to me too, that um, I would truly believe and God's character towards me. And it's almost too good to be true, right? The God of the universe, the, the nations would come and bow before him. That God, he is good to me. That he knows my name. Um, that he cares for me. That he loves me. And he hears my prayer. And of course there, what that means is that he's not going to grant every wish that I have because he knows better. He knows what's best for me. So he's not going to, you know, just be a genie in a bottle, but he will do what's best for me when I cry out to him. Um, and I think that's astounding if you just keep meditating on that and make it yours, that he is like that to me. Uh, so let's do that. Let's just for a little bit before I close in prayer. Uh, may, may God... Uh, works even through this time, especially for those of us who um, you know, needed to hear that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing love for us. May that be not just words that we say, but may that be reality to us, that you are amazing in your love towards us, uh, that you hear us, that you care for us, uh, that you have engraven our names in the palm of our palm of your hands. Um, so Lord, we, we come to you uh, undone uh, as we are. Uh, again, striving to trust that you have regard for us. And as we uh, wrestle with you, uh, as uh, Charles Spurgeon says, as we argue with you in our prayers, um, 
may our hearts burst into worship and give you the worship that you deserve. The worship that transcends uh, our consumption with uh, different problems in our lives, God. May you be glorified in our lives. It's all about you, not about us. It's all about you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray together. We'll close our close our worship. Just uh, during the service, I don't remember at what point, whether maybe when Pastor Aiden was preaching God's word, or maybe when the music was playing. I was just thinking that uh, I think it's pretty incredible that um, in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, uh, in the middle of crazy political chaos all around us, uh, in the middle of a, a huge cultural shift and movement happening, it's just amazing that in this one small room, as God's people are going through different trials and struggles and sufferings. Uh, in the middle of all of that, in this one small room, the God of the universe comes and speaks to our hearts uh, in a very personal way, just to say uh, that I see your suffering and I'm with you. In the midst of the worldwide chaos, the God of the universe comes and says, I care for you, I know you, and he gives us his word. So easy for us to sing about the, the goodness of God and, um, and miss the significance of what that means. Um, that even in this moment right now, uh, all the, uh, I don't know, the chaos of our own hearts, um, the internal struggles that we go through, just the ways that we lack answers in our own lives. God meets us with his word and assures us that in Jesus Christ, his love for us will not fail. And then in the midst of all the, the craziness in our lives, that we can look to him. But you, O oh Lord. So may we leave the presence of God with his word in our hearts, uh, with a with a, a resolve to look to the Lord in the middle of the struggles in our lives. Let's just uh, thank the Lord for a moment and I'll close us in prayer and benediction. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Lord's Day at a time when it's so easy to take our eyes off of you, at a time when it's so easy to be weak or to even lose faith. We come setting aside this hour and this day to worship you and to give you our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to us, that you are not far from us, and that you meet us where we are with your word, and that in you, we can find everything that it, that we need to prosper in this life. In you, we can find strength to persevere and to live our lives for you. Uh, strengthen 
the hearts that are in need of your encouragement. And um, may the people of God, may CLC be stronger because of this hour of worship. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this incredible, unchanging covenant love, the love of the Father God, and the fellowship, the strength, and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you, God's people, both now and forever. Amen.